Welcome to the Family Worship Center podcast. Each week we bring you our message from our Sunday morning services at Family Worship Center in Beaumont. Invest in God's work. That's what he's telling you. Give give to everything that God's doing. Realize how quickly and how fleeting finances can be in this world. Blessings are not fleeting. Finances are. We need to invest into the kingdom. We hope you find this message encouraging. Let you fill in the blank. I can't get no satisfaction. Almost a hundred percentile. I didn't hear anybody call out the wrong thing. Boy, it's amazing how music sticks with us, isn't it? <laughs> I can't get no satisfaction. All right. Somebody tell me real quick who actually sang that. <laughs> the Rolling Stones, Mick Jagger. <laughs> and so uh, as I was looking at this, I, I, I just got to thinking about as far as Thanksgiving goes. Sometimes it seems like the more we have, the less we appreciate it. It's awfully easy to do. It's a trap that the enemy sets for us. But sometimes we can't get no satisfaction. Philippians Chapter 4, we're going to be looking at what Paul wrote to the church in Philippi there. And it is uh, chock full of stuff. And Chad's got it on the screen for us. How I praise the Lord that you are concerned about me again. I realize that uh, the Philippian church did more for the Apostle Paul. This is the Apostle Paul writing to that church. They did more for the Apostle Paul than any other church, even though they were some of the poorest Not the poorest, but some of the poorest. And he says, how I praise the Lord that you're concerned about me again. I know that you've always been concerned about me, but you didn't have the chance to help me. Next verse. (laughs) Not that I was ever in need, for I have learned how to be content. Look at your neighbor and say, content. That's the key word in all this, contentment. I've learned to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing. And we read about the Apostle Paul and everything that he went through, and there were times when he had nothing. I mean, he didn't, he didn't have anything. And then there were times when he did a whole lot better. So he says, I've learned how to live on almost nothing or with everything. And I've learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it's with a full stomach or an empty one. How many of us prefer the full stomach? Yes, yes, I'm in that lot. Okay, with plenty or little. For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. You didn't realize that that verse was attached to Paul receiving offerings and about how much we have. Sometimes we just kind of pull that verse out, and it's a good verse. Good to underline in your Bible, but it's about having little or having much. He says, for I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Even so, you have done well to share with me in my present difficulty. As you know, you Philippians were the only ones who gave me financial help when I first brought the good news brought you the good, the good news, and then traveled on from Macedonia. Now, remember Paul, had at least three missionary journeys, and, and he's, telling, he's bragging on this group of believers in Philippi. And no other church did this. No other church did this. If you can, I mean, just wrap your brain around that for a second. 
this area in this part of the world at this particular moment in time was the hotbed of Christianity. There were churches just kind of like here. There was a church on every street corner just about. And uh, Paul would go from town to town, and if they had a church, he would straighten it up. If they didn't have a church, they had a church when he left. Amen? That was, his, that was his whole calling, his whole thing. And so he's telling them that whenever he was on his missionary trip, no other church helped him out, but they did. Even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me help more than once. So in other words, he was on their monthly missions program. Amen? That's why we do that kind of thing. Sometimes the things that we miss out on is that these missionaries, it helps them a whole lot more if we give them a little every month than it does if we give them one big offering because it's something they can count on. It's something they can budget with. That's why we do it like clockwork. That's the reason that even though sometimes it may not seem like we're doing a whole bunch, sometimes that's worth more to a missionary to have that little bit every month than it is to have one huge offering. And he says, I don't say this because I want a gift from you. In other words, I'm not sucking around wanting an offering. Because that's sometimes, y'all, anybody that's spent much time around me, one of the things, I'm a preacher so I can pick on preachers. One of the things that you see a whole lot of preachers is they always got that hand out. Always wanting something. I set my mind on this very early. I want to be somebody that's always trying to give something, not expecting something. So Paul's saying this. He says, I'm bragging on you. I'm bragging on you because you're giving, not because I'm, I'm wanting an offering. Rather, I want you to receive a reward for your kindness. At the moment, I have all I need and more. So Paul is evidently by his own standards, living in prosperity. He is doing a-okay. I am generously supplied with the gifts that you sent me from, with Epaphroditus. And Epaphroditus was evidently, if you look it up, he was probably a bishop in a church, probably a pastor in a church. And the Philippians sent a gift with him to Paul. And Epaphroditus saw that Paul was just overwhelmed with everything that he was doing and decided instead of going home, he would stay and help him. And he worked so hard and such long hours that it actually cost him his health and he got sick and almost died. And the Philippian church heard about it and said, oh my goodness, we sent this poor guy to, to his end. And they were wondering, you know, this wasn't in the day and the time where we have texts and cell phones and all this kind of stuff. So they're wondering if he even made it through this. And you can read, it, it's in a couple of different places through the word. But Epaphroditus overcame his illness and got better. And Paul sent him back with this letter. So, they are sweet smelling. Oh, I didn't finish that verse. Yep. He said, the gifts that you sent uh, to me through Epaphroditus, and they are a sweet-smelling sacrifice that is acceptable and pleasing to God. In other words, what they've done pleases the Lord. And this same God who takes care of me will supply all your needs from his glorious riches, which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. 
There's another verse that we quote so often, my God shall supply your every need according to his riches and glory, that we sometimes kind of pull out of context there. And when you read it all together, this is all about Paul and talking to us about contentment, talking to us about whether we live in prosperity or whether we live with a lack, that we should find contentment wherever we are. And I think no other word... comes against that thought than this thought of I can't get no satisfaction. Really and truly, it ties in with the word more. What do you want? I want more. Whatever I got, I want more. Or sometimes you can add into that blank, different. More and different are two things that sometimes come against that thought of contentment more than anything else in this world. We've all, all of us that are parents have witnessed our children get tons of gifts on Christmas Day. And they're just tearing paper and paper and ribbons flying everywhere. They're getting it out and they just barely look at it and they throw it to the side. Where's the next one? And sometimes that's the way we are with God. God gives us blessings and we just tear into it and we say, okay, more. Or this is okay, but different. And sometimes we spend our whole life, sometimes it's a subconscious thing. It's not necessarily that we're even thinking it or saying it out loud, but sometimes in our world, we get into this idea of more different, better, and sometimes we miss out on being right where we are at this present moment and enjoying what God has already put before us. I've known of people that they might get a a new car and, and, you know, you say, well, I, I, I like your car. Well, it's not new, but it'll do till I can get a new one. More different. Sometimes we we do that with God as far as spiritual blessing. Sometimes it's as far as our prosperity. And sometimes, I'm just telling you, we need to, we become paralyzed or at least numb to the fact that God, over and over and over again, almost every day, if we we take account of it. There's an old song, and I mentioned it in the newsletter this, this month. Count your many blessings. Count them one by one. Count your blessings. See what God has done. And sometimes we just need to stop. And, I, you know, I love Thanksgiving because it's that week, that moment. I know some families have the, have the tradition that they'll go around the table, what are you thankful for this year and all this kind of stuff. Sometimes that becomes a little religious, okay, a little contrived. But we should stop sometime this week, whether it's Thursday or it's Wednesday or Tuesday or even today. And say, God, I acknowledge your blessings in my life. God, I acknowledge the things that you are doing right now. And I'm not standing on the, on the precipice of, of tomorrow and better and more. But God, I, I just want to say thank you for what you're doing right now. Now, the Apostle Paul had kind of a, uh, a, this time here that, he, that we just read, this, this time when he's sharing with this church about all those things. So how can I get some satisfaction? 
Go from, I can't get no satisfaction to I've got some satisfaction. First of all, it's realizing that it's, it's the difference between, and this is the definition of contentment. Contentment is being at peace with or having a satisfaction with the unchangeable circumstances that we're, that we're in, the choices and even the mistakes of our lives. As I've said often, right now, as all of us are sitting or standing in this room, we are the sum total of every choice we've ever made in life. Some of the choices have been good. Some of them have been bad. Everybody readily admit you made some bad choices in your life. Okay? Everybody admit you've made some good choices in your life. Okay? Right now, we're the sum total of that. And instead of living in this world where someday I'll be this, that, or the other, is like today, let's say this is what I am. This is who I am. And God, I may, it's not, it's not complacency. Contentment is not complacency. Complacency is, oh well, whatever. I'm not going to strive for anything. I'm perfect. And I mean, there's only a few of us that can say that in that room. <laughs> I mean, you know, when you got perfect hair and a perfect body, it's it's always easy to fall into that trap. <laughs> Here's the thing. Complacency is a bad uh, complacency is a bad thing. Contentment is a good thing. To be able to say I'm okay with where I'm at right now. I may not have everything that I aspired to do, but hey, I'm okay. And just like Paul said, I know how to be content satisfied whether I have a little or whether I have a lot and you know what that's a big thing where our relationship with the Lord is concerned because if we fall into the more and different we're never satisfied we're insatiable doesn't matter what comes down the pike we're always looking for the next best thing coming down the line and that's not what God wants for us he wants us to be content where we are, just like Paul said, I've learned to be content, whether I have a little, whether I have a lot. So that he, he tells us that in Philippians 10 and 11. Chad, if you, if you will, bring that back up, or Piper. Piper's in the driving seat today. He said, how I praise the Lord for how uh, that you've been concerned about me again. I know that you've always been concerned for me, but you didn't have a chance to help me. And he says, not that I was ever in need, for I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. In other words, whatever situation. Yes, some of those situations were lacking, some of them were overabundance, but he's learned to be content. And so he says, I know how to live almost, on almost nothing or with everything. That's the next verse. Um, he said, I've learned to learn to." Live on almost nothing or with everything. Now, boy, that's, that's a big variation. That's two opposite ends of the spectrum. I've learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it's with a full stomach or an empty one. That's a big statement there. If we can learn to be content. So he gives us that example there of, 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 of being able to experience poverty and prosperity and not differ in between them. 
not having any kind of malice toward the lack, not having any kind of braggadocious attitude toward the prosperity. And, and, and he tells us that right there. He said, whether I have a little or whether I have a lot, learn to be content. There's a, a poem. Some of you probably have never heard it in your lives. And I was going to print it off, but the printer wasn't cooperating today. It's a poem. The title of it is If. My, my grandmother loved this poem. Richard Kipling is who wrote it. It says this, If you can keep your head when all about you are losing theirs and blaming it on you. If you can trust yourself when all men doubt you but make allowance for their doubting too. If you can wait and not be tired by waiting or be lied about, don't deal in lies. Or be hated and don't give way to hating. And yet you don't look too good or talk too wise. If you can dream and not make dreams your master. If you can think and not make thought, uh, thoughts your aim. If you can meet with triumph and disaster and treat those two imposters just the same. If you can bear to hear the truth you've spoken. Twisted by knaves who will make a trap for fools. Or watch the things you've given your life to broken and stoop down and build them up with worn-out tools. If you can make a heap of all your winnings and risk it on one turn of pitch and toss and lose and start again at your beginnings and never breathe a word of your loss. If you can force your heart and nerve and send you to serve your turn long after they're gone, and so hold on when there's nothing in you except that will that says, hold on. If you can talk with crowds and keep your virtue, if you can walk with kings nor lose your common touch, if neither foes nor living friends can hurt you, if all men count you with you but none too much, if you can fill an unforgiving moment with 60 seconds worth of distance run, Yours is the earth and everything in it, and which more, you'll be a man, my son. And I think that poem just speaks so much to this particular issue. If you can be in the presence of kings or in the presence of paupers and not lose your head. If you can manage to keep yourself grounded and know who you are, and that's the example about being a just in that moment of contentment that, that Paul talks about there, I know, how to, I know how to live in prosperity and I know how to live with absolutely nothing. So he goes on and he tells us, not necessarily in this book, but he tells us in 1 Timothy how to live in prosperity. 1 Timothy. And he's talking to Timothy who's pastor in a church. Paul, uh, Paul is acting kind of as a bishop. And he appointed Timothy to the church at Ephesus. So he's there and he's trying to, trying to pastor and Paul is giving him wisdom. And he said, teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. If you've ever had money in a stock market or any kind of thing like that, you know how unreliable it is. Their trust should be in God who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. And tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need. Always being ready to share with others. 
By doing this, they will be storing up their treasure as a good foundation for the future so that they may experience true life. Okay? It all starts out with tell those that are rich in this world. And how many of us, I won't ask for a show of hands, how many of you did, thought, well, that counts me out right there? Because nobody wants to say, okay, I'm rich. Nobody, if you ask people, and this was a survey that I read long ago, but everybody will always go up to about three uh, income brackets from where they're at. If somebody is, is 20, making $25,000 a year and you ask them what would be rich, they, they might say 150000 If somebody's making 100000 a year, they might say, well, if I can make 250000 and everybody thinks rich is somewhere else, but this is, this is something, and I've shared it before, this is, so you may uh, recall it. But sometimes we need to be reminded just how blessed we are. And it always helps me to go back and read this. These are latest, again, the latest statistics I could find. But if your household income is more than $7,000 a year, 7000 that is not. I did not misstate that. If your income is more than $7,000 a year, you are in the top 50% of wage earners in this world. If you make more than $7,000, your annual household income, more than $7,000, you're in the top 50%, the top half of wage earners in the world. If your household income is $40,000 or more, you are in the top 5% of wage earners around the world. If your household income is by chance 50000 or more, it puts you in the top 1% of wage earners in the world. Oh, how blessed we are. Amen? Because I, I, that's not an outrageous figure there. But if, you're in a, if you make 50000 or above, your household income, that's everybody combined, household income, more than 50000 you're in the top 1% in the world. If you have a house... You are rich. If you have a car, you are rich. If your car has a house that we call garages, <laughs> if your car has a house, you're rich. If your car has a house and shares it with your bicycles and your lawnmower and all the stuff that won't fit in your house or you, that you don't want in your house, you're rich. If your car lives in the driveway because you filled its house up with all your stuff. Gosh, we all do that sometimes, don't we? Car, why are you parking out in the driveway? Because it won't fit in there. I got all the Christmas stuff down. Or I got all the, you know, da-da-da-da-da. That's where we're fixing to be right there. Car will have to live in the driveway for a, a day or two. If you have a savings account, you're rich. If you have a retirement, you're rich. If you have food on your table, heat and air in your house, you're rich. And thank God for air conditioning. Just as a side note there. Now, granted, sometimes things come along, just like this year. This has been a tough year for a lot of people. But we're still blessed. We are still so absolutely blessed. And we sometimes we don't take account for it. Sometimes we don't even give thanks for it because we're so unmindful of how blessed we are. Sometimes it's good to just look at those things and say how rich we are. If we make more than $7,000 annual household income, we're in the top half 
of wage earners around the world. That is so eye-opening and scary. Amen? So Paul, in First Timothy here, he tells, he tells us how to live in, in prosperity. How do we get satisfaction and know that we're in prosperity? First off, acknowledge where you're at and say, thank you, God, for putting me where I am, when I am, how I am. I mean, it's just an awesome thing to get a paycheck. Amen? And too, far too often, I think we don't stop and just say, when we get that in our hand or it drops in our bank account or however you get yours, just stop and say, thank you, Lord. That's pretty awesome. God's not against prosperity. fact is, God wants us to prosper. God wants us to do well. God wants us to be, okay, we'll, we'll really throw it out there. God wants us to be rich. Because he tells Timothy, tell those that are rich, use what God's put in their hands to bless people. That's how God works. You, you've heard me say it a ton of times. God is always the God of more than enough, not the God of just enough. Why? Because if we all had just enough, we can't help anybody. Amen? God's plan is to bless us, to bless our socks off, and he will continue to do that unless we become a bottleneck in the line. You just got to get used to just shoving it on down the line. Amen? God blesses you more, get more. That's what, he's, that's what he's telling Timothy to tell the church. God blesses you, give more. Invest in God's work, that's what he's telling him. Give, give to everything that God's doing. Realize how quickly and how fleeting finances can be in this world. Blessings are not fleeting, finances are. We need to invest into the kingdom. Amen? And that's what Paul's telling them there in First Timothy. And then he goes on, and here is Paul's secret for contentment. This is, starts at verse 13. We're already on, on the number four as far as the points there. Okay, verse 13. He says, for I can do everything through Christ because he gives me strength. He depended on a power that was outside of himself. He didn't beat his chest and say, I can do all things because I got a good job. Or I can do all things because I, I am able to learn quick. Or I'm, you know, I, I've got my college degree or all these kinds of things. Paul never, 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 at least at this time in his life, never puts his, his belief in anything other than God. Because he knows how fleeting that other stuff can be. So he tells him he's, that he's dependent on, a, on, on a, 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 the power of God in his life. The only thing that he can do is depend on God. And so then he tells us in verse 14. He says, even so, you have done well to share with me in, in my present difficulty. And he goes on, and as you know, uh, you Philippians were the only ones who gave me financial help whenever... Uh, he first brought the gospel to him, the good news, and then he traveled on. He was the person that was that was that they were sending out with the good news. As I've said many, many times, you spread the gospel where you are, you send it where you cannot go. That's why we support missionaries. Not all of us can load up, and we're not all called to be missionaries. But not all of us can load up and go around the world. Uh, we support the people that do. Amen. So he goes on. And he says, even when I was in Thessalonica, you helped, sent help more than once. In other words, he's just going on and on and on and on about them, about that they saw the purpose in his life. 
that they saw that he was a missionary, that he had a calling on his life. And folks, that's what we are called to do is to help equip people that are called, to send them out, to do what God's called them to do, to, to give them the opportunity, just like that this church did with Paul. We know you're called. We see your calling on your life, and we're going to help you to go further faster than you could by yourself. Amen? So that's what it's all about. And then the thing that Paul did that just absolutely that we need to, and if we go to all the way down to verse 18. And he tells them, he says, at the moment, I don't have need for anything. And he's thanking the Lord for everything that, that this church did, that, that everything that they've done is a sweet smell and sacrifice, acceptable and pleasing unto God. And he goes on and gives them the promise that this same God is going to take care of all your needs. And, and what it tells us is, is that Paul never failed to give praise. Even... When things might not have been just right, he was still giving praise. He was still thanking the Lord. And then he goes on and he says, you know, God's going to meet all of our needs. Everything that we're in need of. God is going to supply the need wherever it comes from. But here's the thing. We ought to be all going, ooh, 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 let it be me. Let it be me, Lord, that helps somebody out. Instead of standing back waiting for somebody else to do it, that we ought to all just be jumping up and down. God, let me help. Let me do this. L let us be a part of what you're doing. Why? Because we get blessed in the process. Absolutely. Sometimes we don't. Sometimes, as I said earlier, we get paralyzed or we get numb to exactly how much God is blessing us till we stop and take an account and say, God, let me. Be a part of what you're doing. And if we'll do that, guess what? He's got more blessings waiting. Only thing we got to do is just keep, it's just like a, a production line in front of us. Keep on putting it down the line, and guess what? The, the supply will never run out. My God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory. God ever run out? Absolutely not. So guess what? Our supply is endless. The only thing we got to do is keep on sending it down the line.